welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. So y'all remember Sunday, right? Were you here? It was a great time. I would spend a lot of time reviewing, but I don't have time for that. So bottom line, it was really good. (laughs) I want to quote one thing that I said on Sunday, and it was, we're talking a lot right now about you learning emotional language about you. It's good. Have you been practicing? I've been practicing. It's fun, isn't it? It's fun to actually stop for a minute and say, wonder what it is. What is this thing that's going on with me as opposed to just living from reactions? Agreed? Listen, this is such a vital thing that you may not feel like you need it that much, but somebody that's coming along after you is going to need it. And how diverse you're going to be, I believe, in the kingdom and how God is able to utilize your gifts is how well that you've honed them. You know, you know, we flip houses, you know, and so we just finished a flip and flip and we sold it in 10 days. And but listen, the reason why is because there there the people that are buying it are two people that are going to be doctors. They're graduating next month. And they were so into detail. They picked that thing apart and they could find nothing they wanted to fix. You see, that's the thing you have to understand that God, it's a setup. Because see, my character happens on what I display, what I do on my display when nobody's watching. Instead of saying, well, let me let them just tell me if it's wrong. And see, that's the same way with your character in life, your character at work. Right? And so part of, I love this line, it says, my limits of my language means the limits of my world. That was from Sunday. And so like I say, if you don't have that handout, you can get it over here on the beautiful black table. And so let's pass out some popcorn. I promised y'all that you could have popcorn because some of y'all were sleeping while I was talking last Wednesday night. This is the only reason you're getting popcorn. So you have a choice between kettle corn and salty corn and just feel free to munch at will and they're gonna clean it up at the end look at that salty islands not salty islands come on the non-salty people we have to unite Now get them all open so you're not making so much noise. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You can crunch and munch. Don't forget the girls and the boy in the booth because they'll be sad. Okay, I am going to be... um, dissecting a whole lot of emotions along the way, okay? But I'm still kind of doing a preliminary identification, which I just love to do. I like to invite you into what you're going to learn. 
And I love this. I have a couple of slides and I love this first slide. It just cracked me up. And um, I can't remember who said it, but it says you are afraid of surrender because you don't want to lose control. But you never really had control. You just had anxiety. You can't be healed of what you won't admit. And so, I don't know if you know this, but God's coming for every place that you think that you're in control. I've been there. I've done it. And guess what? God uses me to do things that I don't even know why I'm doing them. And sometimes I don't even like what He uses me to do. Because it makes me feel awkward. I don't like awkward. You know, I love it. We're, we've got to get this thematic declaration down to embrace awkward because if the god of the universe is going to use humanity and we think he's going to care about our comfort we're already setting ourselves up for limits right so let's start our little handout here this is um part the parts in italicize are from her book and the other parts I've written. Brene Brown in her book, Atlas of the Heart, which I'm looking into, gives us some insight into the impact of lack of emotional learning that it has on our lives. Without healing, growth, and maturity, it's easy to see how and why we begin to shut down our emotions, thereby shutting down our creativity. Below are some snippets that describe some intricacies, complexities, and roadblocks associated with lack of emotional maturity. How many would agree that society as a whole has a lack of emotional maturity? Yeah. Everybody would agree. How many agree you do? So, see, part of, of God's healing all comes from choice. So the more things that I reveal, the more things that that's what true intimacy is. Let you see into me. The more of those things he can work on at one time. If you're just going to reveal your best side and you're not going to act like you got anything going on, then that's all he can touch because he requires us to reveal it. He can fix it. But he can't fix what I'm unwilling to reveal. I'm just telling you, it's a principle I've lived by my whole life. You have to reveal what you're willing to be healed of. Do you need some help? Because I feel like you're struggling with your <laughs> boom chicka pop. This is from the book. I've learned this is really good, especially for people who have had any kind of abuse. This will give you some understanding. I've learned that power is not bad, but the abuse of power or using power over others is the opposite of courage. It's a desperate attempt to maintain a very fragile ego. Have you heard that before? Yeah, it's the desperate scramble of self-worth quicksand. When people are hateful or cruel or just being overtly mean, she used a different word there, so see how I changed and put, it, put little dots around it for you so you wouldn't be offended right now. They're showing us exactly what they're afraid of. Understanding their motivation doesn't make their behavior less difficult to bear, but it does give us choices. And subjecting ourselves to that behavior by choice doesn't make us tough. It's also a sign of our own lack of self-worth. You know, that's something new in your generation that we realize what abuse really was. And remember what I said last week, emotional and physical abuse is the same. 
It affects your brain the exact same way. So think about people, even if you haven't been abused, a lot of you in here have, but even if you hadn't, people coming have. And so they, one of the greatest things lost in abuse is trust. And interesting enough, even when God plucks you out of wherever you were and sticks you in a community, you still put on the community the same thing that happened to you in abuse. It takes sometimes a lot of years. You know, I know in religion, we were just like, hey, we were just like, hey, you know, Jesus is the answer. Just pray a little prayer. Jesus is the answer. And then everything gets fixed. And what we did in religion, we relied on that. And we judged each other. So then, since we didn't have any tools, everybody just dressed up on the outside like they were good. I came from religion. I know. I get this. They just dressed up on the outside. They didn't let anybody see you because if you ever told, they would tell everybody and they would shun you and they would blackball you and you might as well wear a shirt. And then when people saw you, they were doing the same thing. They just hadn't told it yet. I'm telling you the truth. So, let's keep reading. I also learned that when you hold someone accountable for hurtful behaviors and they feel shame, that's not the same as shaming someone. I'm responsible for holding you accountable in a respectful and productive way. I'm not responsible for your emotional reaction to that accountability. That should free a lot of you people. Sadly, I've learned that sometimes even when the pain takes your breath away, you have to let the people you love experience the consequences of your own behavior, their own behavior. That one really hurts. You know, I was talking to somebody today and I said, they were like, well, I want to tell somebody something, but you know, it's really hard for me. And I said, well, Here's a choice. You can either tell them because they're actually asking and they could actually come up higher and grow from your feedback, or you could not tell them and then years later, people will still not be telling them and still not be telling them and still not be telling them and they'll be 50, 60 years old going, well, no one ever told me and then it'll be a shocker. Why they never have any intimacy, why they never have the connections they want. Some of us have never been told. We've never allowed feedback at a deep level. We keep everybody on the surface level. And see, this is, this is really important. This give, to me, this gives us an understanding of why we created emotional distance. Wow. It didn't pay off. We hooked up with a bunch of unsafe people, and then we just wrote that on everybody. Everybody's unsafe. I'm not unsafe. You need to learn to say that about you. I am not unsafe. Then when somebody comes to you and says, well, you're unsafe, you can say, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I can help you. I can help you. Because people coming out of abuse, they don't think anybody's safe. And you'll have to prove yourself. Remember what we're talking about right now? Stewarding someone else's story. Are you willing to prove yourself? People will do almost anything to not feel pain, including causing pain and abusing power. Bam. Very few people can handle being held accountable without rationalizing, blaming, or shutting down. Have you experienced that? Just try to tell them a little something. A little. 
It's a little tiny something. And this is what they do. Will you? Will you? Anybody had that happen? You just start to say, hey, I was wondering, will you? Right? That's what this is talking about right here. And without understanding how our feelings, thoughts, and behaviors work together, it's almost impossible to find our way back to ourselves and each other. Now y'all need water, don't you? See, that's how it works right there. <laughs> Is anybody dying, needs water? I mean, I'm sure Trace would run to the cafe and get you a water. Anybody? This is your moment right here. Free water. No? One, two, anybody? Oh, here we go. Now we got some free water people. Oh, we got an extra here in the crowd as well. I think we just need a couple, Trace. But you know, it might come trickling as the more they eat. We're in the middle of the paragraph. When we don't understand how our emotions shape our thoughts and decisions, that's one thing y'all do not know. Your emotions shape your thoughts and decisions. If you just don't hear anything I say tonight, remember that one thing. We become disembodied from our own experiences and disconnected from each other. Don't you hate disconnect? Anybody hate disconnection as much as me? I hate it. Have you ever tried to reconnect with somebody that's unconnectable? I mean, that's a miserable moment, isn't it? They're unconnectable. You want connection. They're, what's going on with them? Walls. Right? No trust. That's on one side. Somebody else wants to have all the power. Have you met those people? I love Pam's older sister. She used to be like, hey, let's play queen for the day. So they would wait on her older sister. You know where this is going. Hand and foot, foot massages, all kinds of doing things. And then the next day, Pam would come hop in there and say, it's my turn to be queen for the day. She said, oh, I don't feel like playing that today. That's what power people do. You do for me. I'm not really thinking about ever doing it for you. And see, we've got to be discerning like who we're working with. We act like we can be close to people who are like that, and it's impossible. And you end up being disappointed, and you write on everybody that that's who everybody is, and it's just not. You're welcome. Imagine if you had a shooting pain in your left shoulder that was so severe it actually took your breath away. The pain kept you from working, sleeping, and fully engaging in your life. When you finally arrive at the doctor's office, she asks, what's going on? There's suddenly tape over your mouth, and your hands are tied behind your back. You try yelling through the tape and freeing your hands so you can point to your shoulder, but there's no use, so you're just there. Inches and minutes from help and possible relief, but you can't communicate or explain the pain. I would imagine in that situation, most of us would either fall to the floor in despair or fling ourselves around the room in uncontrollable rage. This is not that different from what can happen to us when we are unable to articulate our emotions. We feel hopeless or we feel a destructive level of anger. Think about how much could be solved just by actually learning how you feel about stuff, learning what emotion you're experiencing, that's really what we're going to explore. Remember on Sunday I was talking about how she said that she worked for this restaurant, and she was saying that when she was overwhelmed, she would go in and she'd say, hey, I'm in the weeds. Remember I said that? And then what was the other word I told you? 
Yeah, and she and I couldn't think of the other word, but the other word was after she'd been in the weeds for a while and it hadn't relented, she was then blown. I'm fully blown. So if you're fully blown, they knew you couldn't take care of nobody. You couldn't take care of your tables. Nobody, she said, nobody said anything to you. You just immediately were ushered outside to where you cried for 10 minutes or you, what she did, smoked a cigarette for 10 minutes. You did something, what? Because you could do nothing in that fully blown. She calls that overwhelmed. Now, see, if I just walk around saying, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed. Well, everybody needs to be rushing you out so you can have 10-minute break. And that's really, you're just feeling a little bit stressed. You're just in the weeds. And see, Cece and I have been practicing this week. You know, I'll be like, oh, I think you're in the weeds. Oh, I think you're in the weeds. I think you're in the weeds. And she'll be like, I think I am in the weeds. And so she will begin to look for why she's in the weeds. Now, we haven't done this all the time. Now, I know Lynn gets in the weeds a lot, too. And so Lynn will be telling me, I, she don't say this, but something will happen. And for Lynn, it's just like, boom, it just comes in. And, I, and, and now I have this language. You're in the weeds. You're actually thinking things that are going to lead you down a road. And I love how Brene says it. She, when you begin to put language on that feeling that's not true, it actually causes you to go into more of an experience of your language. So in other words, if I'm just a little bit stressed, I'm just a little bit in the weeds, and I say, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed, I can't live, I can't make it, it actually pulls you into more of the feelings of that you're overwhelmed and you can't make it. She even said that the same thing happens in your brain when you feel excited and you feel anxiety. So your brain can't tell the difference. She was saying that her daughter keeps trying to tell her when she feels anxiety. She goes, well, are you, exci- are you sure you're not excited? She says it doesn't really translate that way that easy. But she said if we could just learn to have different language instead of going full-blown into horribleness, we could just say, hey, I'm, I'm in the weeds. Why don't y'all try it this week with each other? Anybody ever get in the weeds? Ever, anybody ever get stressed out and have a, what we used to call a Stacker. Remember the stacker? The stacker is the same thing as in the weeds. I've been talking about that for 10 years. It's the same thing as being in the weeds. If you don't understand how to navigate that, the weeds turn into more. And pretty soon, you're so overwhelmed, right? Now, before we read this little next part, I had to write this little thing. When emotions have lived in a repressed state, or the opposite, an overexpressed state. Do you even know which ones you have? Guess what? You have both going on all the time inside you, okay? It's not an introvert, extrovert thing. I don't have time to teach you on personalities. Most of y'all know about personalities in here. It's not along personality lines, okay? It's about your life's experiences. So it says, I said, it can feel daunting to either we, 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 we <laughs> awaken reawaken our emotions or put a saddle on them, right? Yes. That's what's going on. How many feel like you're reawakening or we awakening some emotions, right? That's weird, isn't it? You're, they're clumsy. Have you noticed how clumsy they are? Anybody knows how clumsy they are? In fact, when you do it clumsily, what do you feel like doing? Shutting those babies right back down. <laughs> Get that light switch turned right back off, right? How many know they have had no problem expressing their emotions and now you're learning to put a saddle on them? 
great, my four extrovert friends. So see, at the end of the day, we're all exercising something, right? We're all exercising a muscle that the Holy Spirit would call self-control, right? Did you know it's self-control to express your emotions? See, y'all just stuck self-control and repressing everything. No, self needs to be with the Holy Spirit's help in control of what you're expressing. So he may use your emotions to express something. And if you're like, nope, I just got to have all the self-control. I can never have any emotions. That's not God. God didn't do that. God had appropriate emotions to appropriate circumstances. And that is the ultimate goal. And he can teach us that because he made us that way. We're made in his image. Either way, the emotions that are God-given are able to operate within self-control and be appropriate. It's only, it is part of the maturity walk to realize which side of the spectrum your certain emotions fall into. In part one, remember, y'all had that handout, right? You made a list. Did anybody make a list? Great. I need somebody to share one or two here in just a second. In part one, we made a list of some emotions and expressions of those emotions that you do or do not experience. It's always really good to keep referring back to them to check to see how and if or what you really want, if they are what you really want, and if they're working in your relationships. So your emotions are affecting your relationships. Agreed? How many have emotions from other people that are affecting you? Right? Okay, you're doing that. You're doing that too. It's not just right. So if I want deep connection, so for instance, you know, Pam and Lynn are both extroverts. Mendel is the three people I spend the most time with. Mendel's not. She's an introvert. So I can't do the same thing. I watched this this thing happen today, there, and Mendel's going to give you this example, but it was one of the things that we're working on on tonight's handout. So CEC and I were working on that today. And so she came over, and she was going to explain to Lynn what she was going to say tonight. Well, Lynn didn't know what CeCe was doing, and so Lynn does what every extrovert does. As soon as CeCe got to a certain point, she just jumped in with her own story. Boy, Lynn was going to town. She was telling, she was telling and I said, whoa. I said, wait. I said, CeCe's talking about something about her, and you just heard part of the story. Because, you know, a melon needs a lot of... of foundation and 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 in each little foundational statement they see if you're still listening and for an intro i mean extrovert we're like get to the question i mean that foundation can be so excruciatingly long and i'm like is there a question and calandra was doing this to me last night she was talking and i was like am i supposed to keep track of all this i don't know and i finally was like whoa is there a question here because i mean i'm losing focus i'm not able to keep track of everything you're saying and see in that moment it's really cool because lynn was like oh i didn't even know i was doing that and cc's like well i probably wouldn't have said anything because everybody does that to me and see, right there, they just learned something about each other. See, it was that simple. Nobody had to get mad and throw a fit or roll around the floor or nothing. <laughs> we often can decide a way we want to operate, but it doesn't always work with people. So that, I love, the way you can look at that is, you know, I think COVID was a great example. Didn't you love it when they passed 
an ordinance that you had to wear a mask. Man, everybody had this big reaction, you know. I ain't doing that. Well, you, you're not wanting to be led then. No one asked you if they could pass the ordinance. It's kind of like saying, I'm not going to go that speed limit. I'm just going to do anything I want to do. See, we all have these ways we set up our lives to where we just get to do whatever we want to do. There's no accountability. And we're mad at people for making rules. Right? Agreed? So that, that should be an indicator that we are either not expressing our emotions or we're over-expressing our moments in the context of relationships with people. It, all by yourself at home, you can run over your boundaries all you want. You can, you can be mad at yourself. You can overexpress yourself to yourself, but not with people. Not with people. If you're going to be in a relationship with people, you can't do that. Right? You don't get to say, this is the way I am. Well, you're going to be, this is the way you are all by yourself then. Right? Another little part, she said that language, I talked about on Sundays, are portal to meaning-making, connection, healing, learning, and self-awareness. That's what language does. There's a lot of things language can do. How many agree? Listen, it's a challenge to go from Cro-Magnet. Weird. Odd. These big words. How do you feel? Don't know. I mean... If you come see me, that's the first thing you cannot say. I will not spend any time talking to you about how you feel when you go, I don't know. Right? That's Cro-Magnon talk. That's like, uh, odd. That's not any meaning. Right? So language is so important. Think about what you're saying. Think about how you're representing yourself. Think about how you look when you're talking about yourself. Having access to the right words can open an entire universe. When we don't have the language to talk about what we're experiencing, our ability to make sense of what's happening and share it with others is severely limited. Even if you don't know it, you are limited. You can act like you're all good, but you're not. Without accurate language, we struggle to get the help we need. We don't always regulate or manage our emotions and experiences in a way that allows us to move through them productively. And our self-awareness is diminished. Language shows us that naming an experience doesn't give the experience more power. It gives us the power of understanding and meaning. It's really good. Every one of y'all have had a whole lifetime of experiences, right? When somebody goes to try to ask you about it, you know, if you just put everything in the same category, you know, I was just misunderstood. Nobody got me. Nobody liked me. Everybody rejected me. Well, I mean, that language alone isn't enough to tell anybody anything about your story. So if we're wanting to steward people's stories, we've got to know more language for what really happened. Additionally, we have compelling research that shows that language does more than just communicate emotion. It can actually shape what we're feeling. Our understanding of our own and others' emotions is shaped by how we perceive, categorize, and describe emotional experiences. And these interpretations rely heavily on language. Did anybody do the exercise? Come, Lynn, share one of yours.
Look, she's got her little pad. Lynn's done hers four times and her pad keeps losing it. And so she was able to express an emotion about that earlier. <laughs> this morning she woke up and she's like, I wonder how I express anger. Like, do you think I, I get quiet or I'm pretty vocal? I said, I think you have no problem expressing how you feel. And it, fast forward a few hours later and the third time she lost her stuff, she's like, I'm so angry. I said, look, you're just extending <laughs> Still missing, aren't they? Well, about a third of them. Let's see. Must be a Holy Spirit thing. That's okay. Okay, so I did overwhelmed as one of them. And um, how I feel about this emotion is I said that it feels immature. Are you fully blown? Fully. Well, you know, sometimes. Yeah. So hold on. Okay. Um, I said that it feels a little, it feels immature, and I feel like I can learn to not do it because I should be able to, so I can tend to get a little hard on myself because I want to do it better. Instead, I find myself overwhelmed. Okay. So then I will get frustrated with myself. And so um, how do I express it? Well, um, I can get really critical. My mind gets really cl uh, clouded. It's good. And um, I get selfish about my time and what I will do and what I won't do. And I become very me-focused. Nice. Very good. Anybody else have one? You got one you want to share? No? Yeah? I don't know. Yes, you. You raised your hand, so that's why I called on you. But if you're changing your mind, it's going to be okay. No one's going to think anything about you. Okay. Um, uh, so one of mine was uh, irritation is a, an emotion that I had. And how I feel about it is I feel justified for being irritated at first. And then I feel kind of guilty and disappointed in myself for being irritated. Um, and then the way I express my irritation is usually being passive aggressive toward okay. other people. Very good. Very good. Look at all that language. Anybody else have one they want to share real quick? No. Yes? No? No. Okay. Just keep going. So you're going to use these later, so keep. So don't th throw them away. Did everybody do it? Yes. Okay. I, I didn't even look around because, you know, I didn't want to judge you for not doing it. Okay. <laughs> Am I on language speeds? Is that where I'm at? Yes. Language speeds and strengthens connection in the brain when we are processing sensory information, but newer research shows that when our access to emotional language is blocked, our ability to interpret incoming emotional information is significantly diminished. Y'all should reread that. That is so good. Likewise, having the correct words to describe specific emotions makes us better able to identify those emotions in others as well as to recognize and manage the emotional experience when we feel them ourselves. Yeah. So when you're hearing Lynn talk about overwhelmed and judging herself, who could relate? Look at that. See, that's really cool. Isn't it funny? Because like personally for me, 
if I get to the overwhelmed state, which is rare, but I have. You know, when we were moving the building and we were doing all this, I had two, two moments up here where I was feeling overwhelmed. And I know what to do. You know, I know to take a break. I know to, to, like, I don't even think I came up here the next day or something. But I know when I reach that point. But see, I don't feel guilty. I'm like, I've been doing a lot. This is what happens when you don't have a break. And I just take a break. So see, there's a way to fill it without internalizing it into something bad. And that's what I, he's, she's talking about with emotional health, emotional language. Begin to understand how, what is reoccurring in your life, and, and we're going to learn to do some exercises with it. Good? Yeah. Learning to label emotions with a more nuanced vocabulary can be absolutely transformative. Remember I talked Sunday about the granularity, emotional granularity. Remember, I, I likened it to if you poured out a bunch of salt and you looked at all those granulars, granules, and you pointed each one of them out. That's, that's what this is like. Your emotions are like that. They're really, I believe that your emotions are more specific than odd, than yes. weird. Yes. And when you can actually emotionally granulize, it's a good way to say it, actually pinpoint it, you actually have the ability to meet what it's saying better than when you just over-umbrella-lize it. And so that's that's the goal right now. It's not to just run amok with them and to just justify them or anything. Right now we're just identifying and putting language to it. So, you know, like I mentioned in the book, she has 86 emotions. And so she does things like she shows the difference between stress and overwhelmed, in the weeds or fully blown. It, she does some actual wording to help us, and I think it'll be really helpful for us. Um. Remember we talked about what Susan David said on Sunday. You can read that. And then I wanted to, I put this little page um, three in there for you to read on your own. It's just Teresa's little monologue about how she feels about scientific data and kingdom data. So that would be really good for you to read. And then, um, in fact, in the number four, since I'm running out of time, number four, page four is the same thing. It's um, an excerpt I took from the lady that wrote your current small group book, Charity Bowman Webb, and she wrote another book called Limitless, and she talks about the language of the Creator, and I just love that little excerpt, and so please read that at home. But for the remaining time, I wanted to talk about your next assignment, which is on the back, and it's a beautiful little thingy. And um, I made up this little assignment. This wasn't from the book or anything, but I thought it would really help you. And I have a test subject this evening that I have chosen to let her go through an exercise we did today over an example. So let's read about what this example and this exercise is about. Um, after reading the book, I thought of a fun exercise we could do using the following excerpt from the book. I love the idea of having new understanding connecting to ourselves. This is, this is what she said. Things to ask yourself. Where am I right now? Where are you right now in life? How did I get here from where I came from in life? And how do I get there, which I, you don't know where the there is yet, 
That's not ready for that one yet. How do I get there from here? These questions are central to understanding the physical world, and they're central to understanding our internal worlds. Whether we're looking at a map of Texas or reflecting on a tough conversation with someone we love, we need landmarks to orient us, and we need language to label what we're experiencing. And just like a map, the interaction between the layers of our emotions and experiences excuse me, and experiences tell our story. It's a good way to say it, right? But rather than elevation and roads, water, human emotions and experiences are layers. Remember, these are the things that she mentioned I read on Sunday. Biology, biography, behavior, and backstory. Now, on the back of your page, those are the four circles, okay? And so in those four, four circles, you're going to take And remember an experience that you had, an actual thing that already happened. This is the exercise. Are you ready? So you're going to actually remember an experience that you had, maybe a recent one or one further back. And you're going to go through these questions right here. Understand how they show up in your physical body, your biology, and why. Uh, Get curious about how, number two, our families and communities shaped your beliefs. Does everybody feel like they can do that? Yes. Okay. Uh, about the connection between your feelings, thoughts, and behavior. That's your biography. Examine your go-to behaviors. And number four, recognize the context of what you're feeling. What brought this on? Your backstory. So often when we feel lost, adrift in our lives, our first instinct is to look out into the distance to find the nearest shore outside ourselves is what she's talking about. But that shore, that solid ground, it's inside you. That's why Jesus lives in you. Inside, use the shore. Okay? The anchor we're searching for is connection, and it's internal. And see, that's the beautiful part about what the plan of Jesus did. You know, she may not be using Jesus as this, but that's really what she's looking for. She's looking for a solid anchor within her own soul. And we all know around here that's Jesus, right? But I have to be able myself to connect to that truth. She says, to form meaningful connections with others, we must first connect with ourselves. But to do either, we must first establish a common understanding of the language of emotion and human experience. Remember, we love others like we love ourselves. Like I talked about on Sunday, if you are looking outside to get accountability or get structure, then it's never going to work because there has to be a heart connection inside, all right? So I asked Cece to come. And we had a cool little experience that happened today. We have experiences like this all the time. And so I wanted to kind of set it up. So, you know, as pastors, um, we, uh, years ago, before I knew any of y'all, we hired a company that helps us with pastor stuff. And we're, we don't really call ourselves pastors, but as ministers, whatever. And so the cool thing about in America, there's all kinds of laws and tax laws that benefit ministers. And so Lynn, being the administrator here at One Life as well, she helps all of us with all of our paperwork and taxes and on and on and on, housing allowances, on and on and on. So one of the things that she, of course, you know what time of year it is, is tax time. So I made a little slide. So today's example was that her and Lenny, Christy and Lenny, were were texting 
about some tax information. And so through the texting, then it felt different to the melon. And after we talked to Lenny, Lenny was in a hurry. And so Lenny just was vague with her texting, which, you know, for a melon, taxes is a serious thing, right? You could go to jail or something, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is a serious thing. And, and so being a melancholy, she relies on systems. Does any melancholy know what I'm talking about? And if there's a system breakdown, then we're thinking, well, Sang was in church, first of all, but we're thinking, <laughs> where are the other system breakdowns happening? Come closer. Where are the other system breakdowns happening? And it can begin to feel alarming. Yeah. And so, you know, take it from there? Yeah. Okay. Are you still good for me to just do an overview of yeah. the experience? Yeah, okay, yeah. And then Absolutely. we'll do the, the practice. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so we'll tell you how the experience went down and how it progressed, and then um, show you how it works in the exercise, how you do that, this example in the exercise. So as she said, um, I woke up this morning, and I had a text from somebody, and it was kind of confusing, and that you know left me feeling a certain way. That was on a totally different topic. And then <laughs> I texted Lenny about a question about the deadline for the stuff we were working on with taxes, and she answered back with one word and <laughs> I was like, well, that I, and I was trying to clear up a previous confusion. So this was my clarification attempt and I just got one word. So then that was on top of the previous com confusing communication. And, um, as we'll discuss in a minute, it wasn't know, me. It wasn't me. It wasn't with Tisa. It wasn't me. Time. Yeah. So, I, you know, was doing some stuff around the room, around my room in this morning, but I was noticing that I was feeling more and more anxious. And um, so, and then Tisa and I ended up talking on the phone. And so she asked how I was doing. And I was like, well, I'm kind of feeling frustrated. And because I know now I'm about to get in the weeds because this feelings are stacking up, you know. And so she was asking me what happened. And I told her about this texting experience. And I, and so she's like, well, why does that make you feel frustrated? And I said, well, I think this is that thing where I rely heavily on systems. She had just said it. And so if it looks like there's a breakdown in the system, then I start thinking, well, what else got missed when my guard was down? Because I was trusting in that system, you know? And so I'm still trying to find the emotional feeling in there, you know, for myself. And I finally said, well, I think it makes me feel unsafe, and so then, of course, her normal at that point would be to go down the road of, well, what's not safe about it? Like, and I, in fact, I used to use the word dangerous at this point. Well, it feels dangerous. You know, so she's like, well, where's the fire and what bodily harm is going to come to you? You know, what could possibly be dangerous about this? And so we had to talk about it for a while. And she is, was basically unable to speak to the thing that I was feeling because of the terminology I was using. So um, we kind of were recognizing, because we're on this subject, that unsafe must not be quite right. And I can't remember how it all played out, but basically we got around to me saying that I don't actually think that it's a lack of safety. I think I would say it's more that I feel like I can't rest. Okay, so it's a sense of unrest. Yeah, I would say that um, for a long time, you know, because she's come from a lot of abuse, that she would always use the word safe. It's kind of like an extrovert saying odd or weird. 
unsafe just went on everything. <laughs> everything got stamped unsafe. And I'm like, well, how's that? And I mean, I'm trying to figure out. But then we, for a while now, before this exercise, before this book, we've been unpacking what, if it's really unsafe, I think, mm -hmm. anyway. And so then that's already helped her to begin to think, well, why do I just use that word? And I think she just used that word because it was a word that would work to cause someone to sort of stop. But mm -hmm. it, it wasn't a word that would be helpful to actually solve the problem if we wanted to get out of the weeds. Yeah. It doesn't solve yeah. it. Because I would, I can speak to something that's unsafe, but that never did satisfy it. And so that's what began to help unfold it. Yeah, and, and just to take that down the road a little bit further, what used to happen is basically Tisa or somebody else would say, well, that doesn't make any sense. There's nothing unsafe about this. And so then I would say, well, I knew I shouldn't feel that way. And you don't understand. And I would just stamp that on there. Well, I shouldn't feel that way. I'm wrong for feeling that way, which is like a whole childhood theme that I'm trying to break out of, which would then make me just shut it down, right? <laughs> shut that feeling down, which then the next time would make me not want to say anything because it I know I shouldn't work. feel this way. Yep. And then the next thing would come up that I shouldn't feel that way about. And the next thing, and then there's a stacker and I'm in the weeds and I haven't said anything to anybody because I don't think I should feel that way. So the simple if you see the pattern there, the simple use of the wrong word was actually reinforcing a whole dynamic that was keeping me locked up and keeping me from being in peace and operate in my sweet spot and all that. Very good. So it's it was a really cool connection today to see what a difference that using the correct terminology mm -hmm. and really pressing in to find a better word unlocked a major dynamic that has taken place for over 40 years in my life. I mean, it's huge, huge, huge. And in between the two of us, like we would go around and around like this because she would start trying to speak to um, what was, you know, how it's actually, there's nothing unsafe about this. And so then I would say, well, you don't understand me. <laughs> and then that would just bring up a whole thing that, well, you don't understand what I'm saying. So you can't help me if you can't understand. And then, you know, that doesn't go anywhere good. Right. <laughs> it just leads to more frustration and more, shut down and all of that. So it's really, really a huge thing just by finding a more fitting word yeah. to describe what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. So when I identified that, well, okay, it's probably um, not so much safety because you're right. There's nothing really dangerous about, you know, whether or not there's $10 that's not claimed on my taxes or something, <laughs> you know, it's not really going to be that critical. Um, so then I realized, well, I think it makes me feel um, unrested, like I can't rest because I need to be on guard because maybe mm -hmm. it makes me feel like I can't trust Lenny. Okay, maybe I can't trust the person that I've, mm -hmm. I've asked to help me and I've put this stuff in their hands to help me. Well, maybe I can't trust them, so maybe I should be watching that myself, you know, and that's why I can't rest. But the further along we went, I, it started to come to my mind that, wait a minute, I didn't say that I needed to um, put my trust in Lenny. I said I was putting my trust in God to manage this stuff for me because I used to do all this stuff myself. You know, I was on Independent Island. I managed it all myself. I would just take care of it all. I didn't do that. And I didn't do life in the way where I leaned on other people so much. And I was very, very over responsible in that way. And so I'm actually trying to practice 
leaning on other people and trusting other people to help me with my stuff. So what changed for me Mm -hmm. and made me start to do that was because I started learning that God said he wanted to take care of me. He wanted to provide for me. He was my protector. He was the one that made me safe. And so it's really God who I'm trusting in and God delegated it, mm-hmm. the job to yeah. Lenny yeah. because she's yeah. in that position right long before I came along right. she was already in that position yeah. so it's not Lenny that I'm just trusting right. in my unrest it's God that I'm un- I'm not trusting mm-hmm. and wow. so then my went from saying well I feel unsafe I went from saying I'm frustrated and I'm mm-hmm. unsafe to saying I can't rest because mm-hmm. I can't trust mm-hmm. and I'm not trusting God right now yep but just within myself, once I identified that that was the issue, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot for a moment. I am trusting God yeah. completely with everything. <laughs> and so if this is just a matter of not trusting God, then I'm going to spend some time de- making some declarations yeah. and reading some scripture. And I can actually work on that yeah. feeling yeah. and get to a better place. Yeah. That's so really good. It was a, an incredible example of exactly what um, Tisa's teaching on tonight. And so I think we wanted yeah. to go. So I had her do this little exercise for you. Aren't you glad that she's so vulnerable? And, you know, we got Lenny's permission even. Yes. So even while we were asking Lenny for her permission, then they almost got in the weeds. That's what I was talking about earlier. You know, and so but it's just it's just if you can just look at it like all of these experiences that you do with safe people, they're supposed to actually unfold different things within your heart and life, just like this is happening. And I can just say that this has been really hard for Cece for a long time. This is she's in a good place with it now. But before, since she's come from so much anxiety Mm -hmm. that, you know, it would escalate to a lot of fear really fast. Mm -hmm. And so she would go from this in the weed feeling to the fully blown feeling, but she's learning that there's just even having different language and explaining herself a little bit better slows down the process. It makes her think a little more and it slows down the process of reaction. And then I'm not spending a lot of unneeded words saying a bunch of stuff that's not hitting the target. Right. And I think everybody can say that's happened for them, you know, because, yeah. you know, you just say weird. And so then this other person's like, oh, how can I figure that out for you? And, you know, for extroverts, we're like, OK, we can we can figure it out. And we just start asking questions. And, you know, and it just for an introvert, it gets further and further away from truth. Yes. Right, introverts? So we went through and on this first one on the biology, this is what she came up with. Yeah. So in our experience, the, what am I feeling physically? I start feeling tightness in my chest because I'm anxious, right? So I just feel tight in general. And I I noticed that I was real jittery kind of from that nervousness. Like I kind of was just moving around my room real quick, like straightening things up and doing, you know, that that weird little thing. Tasking. Yeah. And I get really, um, I was feeling really pressured, like I've got to hurry. So I was literally moving, you know, quicker than I would normally at that, where in my room um, in the morning. And so... That was what I noticed in my body. And so then we got to talking about how that, you know, I know a lot about her history. And so I already knew all these answers for her, but it was really good for her to just process them out loud. Mm -hmm. And um, so this is what has happened to from your family dynamics that um, caused you to work with your emotions and things and feelings this way. Yeah, I liked the way that it was worded in the worksheet about the culture, our biography. What culture did you grow up in yeah. and how how did you see it affecting your experience? 
And so I recognized that the way I grew up, because God wasn't involved in, in how I was raised, um, that all the pressure was on me to make sure things were managed well and I had good outcomes. So that was my belief system growing up was that all the pressure was on me. So I had to manage it because nobody else was going to manage it. And if I wanted to have good outcomes, then it was up to me to do it. So, so whenever I, in other words, that affected me because the second I think there's a system breakdown, I want to jump in, you know, I want to jump in because I've got to take care of this. Right. And then another statement that I've actually been told even as an adult was like, well, you know, you have to look out for number one, look out for myself. So that was a message that was, I was told, don't trust other people because they don't actually have your best interest. You better look out for number one. Right. So that led us to the behavior part. Yeah. So the next one is behaviors, your go-to behaviors. And I found that this, all of this, this exercise, um, like each one of these individually doesn't bring you to the bottom line answer, but I found that each Mm -hmm. one of them was a doorway to discover more of what was really going on. So if you, if you heard in my experience that we shared, there were kind of stepping stones that one thing led to the next. And so these are sort of stepping stones that helped open up that little step and a little bit broader and helped me see different things. So my go-to behaviors when I'm feeling that way, um, I know I can feel and, and come across a lot more impatient when I'm talking. So like when Tisa and I were talking and we start getting off topic and we're, it's not going well, then I'm getting more and more impatient because it's not going well. Because she's on fire. Because I'm on fire. I, mm-hmm. I often say that. It's like, well, I have a hot potato in my hand, so mm-hmm. it's on fire. we got to put this out so we can't, <laughs> you know, dilly-dally dilly dally around. Get off topic. This thing's burning my hand. Let's hurry. <laughs> Let's get to the point. So. <laughs> Where is the point? Sorry. Yeah. Well, she didn't even know what the point is yet, and I'm, I'm wanting to tell her, what's taking you so long? I thought you could help me. <laughs> That's yeah. my internal dialogue right there. Sometimes it comes out. Though. Sometimes it comes out in real life, yeah. <laughs> so another common go-to behavior is that, that urge to task instead of waiting for a solution or waiting for us to sort out even the, the communication, you know. Mm-hmm. And another one um, is a, that as a go-to in that situation was, well, I'm just going to handle it myself. I'll just go and research it myself. I'll find out what day the taxes are due and yep. how long it takes and yep. who will, you know, I'll just do it myself so that Lenny doesn't have to do anything and I'll just do it myself. And now, like I, she said, thankfully, I don't go down that far down that road. But if, if I notice now any tendency towards that, then that's a check for me to think yeah. something is going on. So even if I haven't noticed it um, at that point, if I that I'm if I haven't identified the feeling, if I'm doing some of those behaviors, it's good to I can check and see that's what's good. going on internally. That's right. And then the backstory was the next one, which are um, the way the way I thought about it was what are the, I thought about it more so as the more recent events or mm-hmm. what things happened in my history, not just from the culture I was raised in, but what other things have happened leading up to this that maybe went unchecked right. that are already fueling my feelings going a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so on this example, I know that there have been just previous real subtle situations that I didn't understand about the process. Like there were certain things I just like overheard Lenny and Tisa talking. I didn't understand exactly what they were talking about, but it may have been about the taxes, you know? So then I didn't really understand. So that made me feel 
like I created an uncertainty in me just by little thing, little observations or moments here and there or comments here and there that created an uncertainty in me that I didn't address. So that was um, adding pressure to my emotion this morning when we had the miss. Yeah, because that's those are connecting points for her. If you can get if you really do this exercise well, like I know people's connecting points. So the reason why that not understanding creates so much anxiety for her is a, there's a reason for that. So those con are connected mm -hmm. together. And so the not understanding is part of her process of having peace. It doesn't mean everything she can understand. Of course, you know, with God, you don't understand nothing. And so, you know, that there's that process in her, it's tension all the time of doing things she doesn't understand fully. And that system in the independent island, you don't do that. You know why you're doing it. You you don't do it until you know why. And in the in the kingdom world, it doesn't work that way. So that's been a lot of her having to give up that system of understanding. So then when she sees something, that's why it connects back to more of an emotional anxiety feeling for her. Yeah. And then another um, backstory that I thought of, not all of these are bad, but I realized that well, I am in a season in my life where I'm intentionally practicing surrendering over responsibility. I mean, I've made a choice to, mm -hmm. to pay attention to my urge to be over responsible and to not do that, which means I'm by default, I'm leaning on people more. So that was an, a positive and intentional choice I've made, which then points me to the fact, oh, right, I'm leaning on others more. So uh, there may be the issue lies there in the fact that I'm leaning on someone more mm -hmm. and that I, maybe I'm not trusting. Yeah. And so that goes back, that backstory goes back to being number one, you know, looking out for number one, not yeah. being number one. And so <laughs> being number one. And so, you know, that's been really hard for her because she, you know, when she was a single parent, she didn't rely on people. She loved that she didn't rely on people. But then I've been trying to convince her to rely on people. And so then if there's a system breakdown, then her default is, well, I was supposed to be looking out for number one. So that means it's not going to work out good. And then it's, and it's going to be my fault and I'm to blame because I just relied on somebody else that, and so it really is a trust issue as you can see. Yeah. But if you've got this language in your mind that you have to look out for number one and you're an over-responsible, you connect those two things together and it's a perfect storm for anything of reliance yes. right. and trust. Yeah, and then the third element of the backstory I thought of was that um, I am giving up. I've, again, made an intentional choice to give up that false sense of, of security that came with being in control. So, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I know that being in control of something is was a way that I that brought me a sense of security, yeah. but right. it wasn't it wasn't true. Right. You know, it was a facade. Right. So I know I've already broken my my agreement with the fact that I need to be in control yeah. to be secure. And so that it, it was this process then reminds me of my beliefs and the things I've already yeah. chosen and the things I've already it's working good. on so that then it showed me the, the incongruency between my beliefs and what I was feeling in that moment. So it That's pointed really me to the real issue. And then honestly, mm -hmm. once I identified it, mm -hmm. all of this led me to identifying, oh, right, this is just another one of those areas that I'm trusting God. Right. And I'm so relieved to be trusting God. So, I mean, I'm like, Phew. well, thank you, Jesus. You yeah. know, yeah. you're right. I'm trusting you with everything. Yeah. 
everything. And this, if that's all this is about at this point, then let me just go into telling you how much I love you. Yes. And it's a problem, you know, an issue that I'm used to, I'm conditioned to working that's with good. him on and that he really meets me in my place of, of, um, insecurity or, or the of mistrust and talks to me about it. So it turns into a really good thing. Mm-hmm. So something that's really tripped me up for a long, long time and just shut me down and reinforced like the, the very childhood injury that I had yeah. about not listening to my feelings and not listening to what I thought and believed. Right. This tiny, tiny, tiny little text issue could have reinforced that. But mm-hmm. instead, because we found the right language and looked closer at it, it set me free in a brand new and really, really, really big way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and created better communication. It was a huge breakthrough for Tisa and I. And so I know this will be a huge breakthrough for you guys and your mentors and your relationships and friends too that just will pave the way to a lot of freedom. It's good. It's a good job. Thank you for sharing that. It's good, right? Let me just pray over this before Cheryl comes, but I hope that you will take advantage of actually doing a little bit of exercise with this, even with those emotions from last week. And it's just going to keep going, right? Yeah. You receive it. So Papa, we just thank you. We just invite you into this process. And we just all say in this room, we want more healing. We want to grow as leaders. We want to grow as sons and daughters. And we want to grow as connectable items. We want to be able to steward not only our story of connect sensitivity, but other people's stories as well. And so I just speak your healing grace over this process and over this season that we're learning all about this in Jesus name. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.